0: Welcome to the Enlighten Up Podcast. I'm Lisa Watson and we'll be joined by my co-hosts Nicole Frolic and Brian Koenigberg. The Enlighten Up Podcast is a weekly show that provides an unconventional and refreshing spin on spirituality, where three friends and weekly guests share informative, fun, and usually off-the-wall conversations. Unlike others, we provide fringe and skeptical viewpoints on all topics, because our experience has taught us that the echo chamber is a boring place from which to learn. So regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, we can promise you, you're going to find a place to fit in here. So we invite you to grab a drink and listen in on our casual, entertaining, and hopefully enlightening conversation. And Lighten Up is a self-funded podcast, so if you would like to help us to continue to be able to produce, enhance, and expand the show for our audience, then please send your support using the link in the show notes, or go to our website, lightenup.us, and check out our merchandise shop, where you can purchase merchandise that will allow you to express some spiritual humor. You may also show your support by leaving us a review on iTunes and following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. And now let's jump
1: right into the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. I am our co-host, Nicole Frolic, and I'm also joined by my beautiful co hosts Lisa and Brian. And today we have a new guest on with us. Uh, We have Bob Fussell, who is the founder of the Breath Alchemy Technique, which he has been teaching for 32 years. His books are regarded as underground spiritual classics. In addition to the book, Nothing in This Book is True, but It's Exactly How Things Are, and uh, the book, Something in This Book is True, as well as You Are a Spiritual Being Having a Human Experience. He has also sold two workshops across the uh, world called "The Breath of Life" and "The Flower of Life." Bob, welcome to the Enlighten Up podcast. How are you doing today?
2: Well, I'm just fine, and uh, thank you so much for having me. So let's let's have some fun.
3: Yes, yeah, let's, let's have too. some fun. Let's do I, it. Let's... I like your I like your book titles. They're
2: oh yeah. Covered. Well, thank you. It's I mean the titles have uh, they have uh, more than paved the way. It's uh it's 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 worked very well. I've heard so many stories about how nothing in this book is true. The title itself, it just captivates people, and uh, I'm really pleased to hear that. (laughs) I think it's
1: great. Um, When did you first, when did you write your first book?
2: Well, that's a great question. I wrote my first book, uh, actually, the... uh, the first edition of Nothing in This Book Is True was published in August of 1994, so that's 25 mm. years ago, yeah. and uh, and what we just did in June of 19, you know, just a few months ago, was we put out a brand new edition of it, the 25th anniversary edition, which in my mind is is really a brand new book. It's uh, it's so it 's got ten completely new chapters it 's totally expanded upon the original version and and all of that. but to go back for twenty five years, uh, I wrote a book uh, I wrote a book because I was asked to by a publisher I mean that was absolutely the least of my intentions. Now, you guys have mentioned uh, Breath Alchemy. I had a different name for it back then. But one day back, and I think it was October of 1992, I got a call from a guy who uh, sounded very, very skeptical on the phone and because he was. And for some odd reason, he was calling to uh, uh, come and schedule a breathwork session for me. And in his own words, he brought his dark cloud with him. I don't think he listened to me or believed a thing I told him, but during the midst of that session, he had a very powerful experience, and that caused him to sit up and take notice. And all of a sudden, the guy believed me and trusted me, and we were able to communicate. And I found out that he owned a publishing company. And uh, I found out further that his company had published a book by Richard Hoagland on the monuments of Mars. Now, that caused me to sit up and take notice because that was now getting into the area, one of the areas of my greatest interest. And uh, so uh, we developed a great friendship. He came for 33 consecutive weeks to do breathwork sessions, and that gave us a chance to obviously talk and get to know each other and develop really a great relationship. So one day, out of the blue, the guy calls me up, you know, I was gotta tell you, I was not auditioning to write a book. I, I mean, just the idea of it freaked me out. I didn't think I had anything to say. And, uh, and uh, I was just just, you know, I was just talking to him because I was very, very interested in finding out uh, as much as I could about the what was going on in the Sedonia region of Mars, Richard Hoagland and the monuments of Mars and the area around there. And uh, so then one day he calls me up and asks me if I would like to write a book on what he called the esoteric meaning of the monuments on Mars. Because, you see, we we just uh, we just hit it off perfectly and we we're talking and he shared the same interests and all the rest of that. So he calls me up and my first thought was, no, I don't <laughs> want to write a book. <laughs> you <laughs> kidding? I don't have anything to say. But then I remembered that uh, four years prior in 1988, I had made an internal decision. And that is that when a client of mine came to do a series of breathwork sessions, she revealed to me after oh about five or six sessions that she indeed was an author and that she was keeping a very uh, well she was she was keeping a diary. Uh, notebook or however you want to call that on the sessions that she was receiving and uh, she suggested that we co-author a book and when she told me that uh, she did not have a publisher and that in fact what we would be doing is writing a book proposal and then taking that around to try and find a publisher i just decided no i don't want to do that i didn't want to write a book anyway uh but I just use that kind of like as my as my reason for telling her no. And I did not tell her, but I made an internal decision to myself only. And that is that the only way I would ever write a book is if a publisher comes to me and asks me, and hey, I thought I was safe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's sneaky. I like it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, sometimes life sneaks up on you. And, you know, I just realized, well, there's obviously there's higher forces at work here. So they're saying no is not an option. Yeah, there are uh,
3: definitely some synchronicities in there.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, that's just the way it's gone for me uh, for well, much more than 25 years right now. And that's just all a function of me being totally on purpose, you know, just, uh, just uh, really being committed to what to me was really important. And what I discovered is that as long as I kept that burning fire going, that 100% intention, that people would just start to crawl out of the woodwork and they would give me exactly what I needed in the moment. And some of whom became great friends, most of whom I never saw again, but it didn't matter. You know, it's just they gave me the perfect tip in the moment to keep me on the path and to keep me moving ahead. So it's, uh, that's a that's fun. And well, it continues to the day.
1: That's that's a little interesting, you know, because in a way you were really resisting writing a book. And yeah. you have a very interesting story about the things that we resist and how if we, we want to be a clear channel for healing, how we have to surrender. And so in a way, you know, you resisting wanting to write was the very thing you were creating. Coming into your reality is the way I see it.
2: Uh, that's very well put. What yep. happened to me too
1: with Brian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then won't this guy just keep going away? He just keep showing up.
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah what you well, resist, you- what you resist will persist, yes. and uh, that's one of my what I like to call uh, universal principles that really my work is based on what I like, what I do call universal principles. It's, it's based on three of them for sure, and a fourth one is kind of sneaking in there too. In fact, it has for a long, long time, but uh, what you resist will persist is absolutely one of them.
1: Well, can you share that story with your tabby cat that you found? Because I know a lot of people (laughs) will resonate with that. And I know Lisa will definitely um, resonate with part of your story. And I just think it's, I think it is such an incredible story that highlights the power of what we're capable of if we actually get out of our way.
2: Uh, You're talking about Freddie. And uh, uh, yeah, it is an amazing story. Uh this happened way way back in the day, about nineteen, yeah, it was nineteen actually it was nineteen seventy-nine when first Freddie first came into my life. And what it was was that uh he was uh he was found in a garbage can and he was choking on a flea collar that was much too tight for him. And so, uh, to me, cats are just about the greatest thing on this planet. So, you know, You're i love cats all my life and uh, would never be without one. So uh, I immediately adopted Freddie, took him home and just, you know, gave him the, not only the home, but the love and affection that he absolutely deserved. And we quickly became best friends. Uh, but uh, I think the uh, to, to get to the point here, uh, in 1980, I spent a couple of months in Europe. I was training and I was traveling uh, with a guy named Leonard Orr, actually the founder of Breathwork, uh, to uh, to become a teacher of Breathwork. I had enough money for a one-way ticket, a one-way plane ticket to London. I mean, that's how much I put myself on the edge. <laughs> but there was this inner voice telling me that, you know, just, you know, the way will reveal itself. Don't worry. Don't worry about the details. <laughs> you, you got enough money to get to London. That's all you need. And and so what it meant was uh, it certainly put me through the loops. Uh, it, it brought up issues, emotional issues. And am I going to make it issues and all of that that I didn't even know that I had. Uh, So I got a pretty intense healing process and I had to learn how to move through that and integrate that on a very rapid basis because uh, what I discovered is that uh, I had some ability to learn something on one day and turn around and teach it on the next day and I discovered that people would actually pay me for that. And so <laughs> and so that's how I uh, worked my way through Europe. And uh, uh, not to mention, I got a free flight back from Amsterdam. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, throughout all of it, uh, at, at the time, uh, the group that, uh, that I was with, uh, many of them were devotees of, of Babaji. Now, for those of you who don't know who Babaji is, I would refer you to the uh, classic, piece of literature called Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and there's a chapter in that book called Babaji, the Yogi Christ of India, and uh, to say that uh, Babaji is is a bit of a master, I mean, it's an incredible understatement. If you can handle, if you can accept what you read in that chapter, in that book, then you'll begin to understand uh, the uh, sort of communication that uh, began to happen with me. And uh, what what did begin to happen is that when I got to, when we got to uh, Sweden, to, to Stockholm in June of 1980, uh, uh, again, I uh, was very much on the edge. And I don't know if I, if I would have made it or not, but I did make it because out of the blue, and I'd never ever had an experience like this in my life before, but all of a sudden there was an internal communication. And it was very, very clear. You know, I understand exactly what this internal voice was telling me, the essence of which was uh everything is just fine. In spite of the out the outward turmoil, everything is just fine. Everything is working out. And uh for me that was absolutely a lifesaver, with without question. And so uh I just uh you just kept tuning into that on a, on a daily basis. And that got me through Europe. Not only that, it got me a free flight back from Amsterdam. And I, I, I was able to, uh, from Amsterdam, to uh, get from Amsterdam to San Francisco for $99.
0: That's <laughs> and, nice.
2: And, and uh, I mean, that's that's just another story on itself. But it was absolutely was a, a Babaji-related story. Uh, that's another tangent, might come back to that, but we were talking about Freddie. So when I got back home, um, uh, uh, you know, I was really, really glad to be back home. And uh, uh, after, I don't know, I'm just guessing this was way back in 1980, but, you know, maybe a couple of weeks, uh, Freddie all of a sudden became paralyzed. That is his, his two rear legs. He couldn't move them, couldn't move them at all. He didn't seem to be any, in any pain uh, and he didn't seem to bother him at all. He was just being himself. He was just, you know, the same good old guy, Freddie, And he was able to kind of like inch himself um, around. it was just so sad for me that uh, even though he didn't have a problem with it, I did. And uh, I didn't know what to do. So I took him to the veterinarian. And the vet didn't have a clue, so I brought him back home. and then uh, one evening, we were sitting out in the back on the patio, and um, I was just going into my thing about Freddie, uh, just feeling so sad and so sorry for him, and what can I do and all of that. And then, out of a sudden, here again, just completely out of the blue, i uh, nothing like this I has ever happened to me before. Um, But all of a sudden, I just started getting this internal, I don't know, internal understanding throughout all of my senses. And it kept growing and it kept building. And it, what, what the message was, was there was absolutely no reason that Freddie cannot be instantly, totally, and completely healed. And in just the matter of a very short, very short period of time, it just grew with such intensity so that it quickly got to the point to where I knew with absolute certainty in every cell of my body that that was absolutely true. And in that moment, in that very moment, Freddie got up and he walked around as though nothing had ever happened. Huh. And uh, I thought that was pretty good. I had a pretty darn good idea who was behind this, (laughs) but (laughs) there is more. We're just getting started here. Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Freddie was just fine. Never, ever again did he uh, uh, suffer from this paralysis. Never again. Just like it never happened. But then one day, and I'm guessing the time frame is about two weeks, as I recall it best, that uh, he came home one day from his daily territorial adventures, and everything was fine, except he had one eyelid completely closed. I didn't think too much of it, uh, but uh, it stayed that way for maybe a couple of weeks. And then when it opened, and it did open, what I saw did not look like an eyeball just looked like a piece of rotten dead flesh that perhaps at one time was an eyeball but now did not in any way resemble an eyeball so that really caught my attention and uh I didn't know what to do I mean you know who, who am I and and so I did the only thing that I could think of and that's take them to the vet and the vet's he could really offer nothing. He gave me some ointment, he wished me luck. <laughs> and he, he advised me that I'd better get back back to him pretty quick, uh, because he was going to have to surgically remove Freddie's eyeball. And uh, oh man, uh, you know, I started wondering, well, would he even survive something so radical? And then I started wondering, well, what if it's, you know, what if he's got cancer or something like that? And, uh, um, you know, I just felt quite helpless. But (laughs) the same thing happened again. We're sitting back, it it was about the same time of the early evening and uh, we're sitting on the, pretty much in the same exact spots, Freddie and I, and the same thing happened completely again. And and just in a matter of I don't think it took more than a minute or two, I knew with total incomplete certainty. It just spontaneously it just spontaneously presented itself. I didn't think that I didn't plan on it, but the thought just came to me. There is absolutely no reason why Freddie cannot be totally and completely and instantly healed. It kept growing, it kept building, and it very quickly got to the point. To again, I knew with total certainty in every cell of my body, and in that point. In that moment, I watched one of the most amazing healings, transform. well, one of the most. I've never seen a better one, I don't think. It happened in an instant. His eyeball instantly transformed. It went from a piece of dead flesh to a perfectly normal eyeball. And I took him to the vet, and the vet was absolutely amazed. Wow. I was too. Uh, <laughs> but not nearly as amazed as he was, because here's the other thing, and that is that it seemed like it was totally and completely natural and normal. I mean, you know, it, it, I was just watching two amazing healings, yet at the same time, they both seemed to be natural and normal, and again, I had a very, very, more than a very good idea who was behind all of this, and so, uh um, I I have a picture. I still have the same poster of Babaji. In fact, I'm looking at it this very moment. I went into my room, and I just started to gaze at that poster. And I just, it's like instantly. uh, I didn't plan anything. I, you know, I just, it it just happened. I sort of went into a trance. You might call it an open eyes meditation. And uh, what I was doing was asking for confirmation. And what I said was, Babaji, was it you? And in that moment, that image of Babaji became alive. It became animated like a Looney Tunes cartoon, you know, like Bugs Bunny dancing around. And that's exactly what he did. He started dancing around. And I uh, thought <laughs> that was pretty good confirmation. And um, um, I mean, and I don't often tell that part of it, because it's just like, it's, oh, come on, this guy, what's he been smoking? It couldn't possibly be true. Yet, that's exactly what happened. So, you know, if that's too much for people to accept, I understand. Well, <laughs> I do understand, but that's it's what your,
1: It's your experience. And I yeah. mean, that at the end of the day, that's all that matters.
2: Yeah.
1: But this, this idea of, of being able to be instantly healed or go through an instantaneous healing really was a huge lesson or teaching for you later in life.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it was so powerful that it, it took me at least 12 years, at least 12 years to begin to get any understanding at all of what had happened. Because it, you see, I totally gave my power away for 12 years. Well, it was Babaji, you know, it was, I, it, I, I wasn't even there. And that's absolutely what it looked like. But I finally came to the conclusion, to the realization that what Babaji was showing me was uh, I've got all of this inside of me. And and, and he was just, you know, it was just just coming through him. But what he was really trying to show me is that this is just who we are. And once you learn to tune in, then uh, what previously was perhaps considered to be impossible, you know, miracles become commonplace. So, to just unpack this a little bit further i uh I was struggling, and that 's kind of like putting it mildly. I was struggling with a low back injury that had really well it it it's it's like I felt that my life was taken away. You know, I was very athletic in fact, I was a professional bowler back in the day, and that 's how I injured my back in a bowling tournament, and like a dummy, I just kept on going. I had no idea what I was playing with. You don't mess around with backs. I kind of learned <laughs> learned that lesson the hard way, and uh, many many years later, I was still struggling with it. But uh, when I finally got the message, it was sometime in 1991, and here I was. I was, you know, lying in bed. My back was out again, and I, you know, I could, you know, getting out of bed was a tru- was a, was a struggle. But the inner message that came to me. Was I don't have to do this anymore, and then in that moment I got my first major healing. Goodness sakes, in in uh, 21 years. I mean, I th- I injured my back in 1970, and it wasn't until 1991 that I finally began to heal, and it, it was through the other major tool was the breathwork and and, which is why I got into and discovered breathwork in the first place Uh, because I had an experience way back in 1980 in a breathwork session of uh, energy going to that part of my back to uh, and I I realized that that was the key to my healing that everything is energy and uh, that's that's you know you don't deal with the symptoms, you go to the source and harmonize the distortion, all the distorted energy. but it, again, it took me many, many years to really internalize that and get to the point to where I could accept it to the point to to create that kind of healing within myself
1: well that's that's just it is that the difference between us as humans and for instance, Freddie the cat <laughs> is that Freddie. Didn't resist his reality. He was okay with everything. Even when he was paralyzed, he was okay exactly with how things were. He was like, "Okay, this is my reality," and I know Brian's going to love this because he's totally understanding this principle through reading um, the Miracle Mind and the Miracle, or the Miracle Morning and the Miracle Equation, where you know when you don't have to be happy about your situation, but as you, if you accept it and just allow it to be then you 're not resisting anything anymore, and that 's what allowed that healing to come through and for Freddie to receive it was because he had no resistance to anything
2: exactly and that that was the great the great lesson that I learned from Freddie so Freddie, my good body was in many ways uh, one of my very very best teachers uh, but But here again, the lesson was not instant. it took me you know ten twelve years to even begin to to, to internalize that. But uh, once I got it, I I got it.
0: How is it that some people, like, it's our beliefs that keep us from
2: seeing these things. Yeah, and cats don't have these limiting beliefs. He, he's just being Freddie, you know.
0: <laughs> right. But you as the owner must not have either, or you wouldn't have been able to experience that. And, and I find it fascinating how some people who maybe don't necessarily seem like they have any different beliefs than anyone else, but have these types of experiences.
2: Well, here's the thing. And, and that is that the veil was temporarily lifted. That's, that was, that's what happened with my experience with Babaji with the healing experiences with Freddie he lifted the veil long enough to show me the possibility. And, uh, but, but here again, you know, it's, I was so immersed in my limiting beliefs that it took me many years to really get the lesson.
1: That's happened to me. Um, I remember when I was going through one of my major awakening points um, when I was on my one year sabbatical and really getting into yoga. And I remember lying on the mat in Shavasana and having these like questions that I used to ask for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden the answer would come in and it would, be so simple and so easy, but it wouldn't come in until many years down the road and just in an instant like that. And I can see, for instance, for like the same thing as you for me, doing yoga was about not resisting what was trying to really be my reality, which was my reality. And I finally just kind of went with it and surrendered into it. And it was because of that surrender was what opened me up to receiving. Everything that was trying to come in or what I wanted to come in really couldn't until I actually went into that mode of surrender. And Shavasana is like the ultimate um, pose for surrender.
2: The key word being surrender. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we all have this inner guidance. We all have our personal connection to source energy. I call it the, the higher self but uh, it's only available in the present moment and it's totally a function of surrendering and allowing it to come through and clearing out enough of the baggage, you might say, to allow it to come through. And uh, and so it's an internal guidance system that will never ever fail you if you just learn how to tune in and, and connect with your connection to source.
1: So is that the premise of your book, Nothing in this book is true, but it's exactly how things are?
2: Well, yeah, it it, it really is. That's what it all boils down to. Uh, I make the case for the uh, enormous infusion, the global transformation that's going on. As I like to call it, it's an enormous uh, enormous enormous infusion of uh, higher dimensional energy that's coming in and it's, it's shedding the light on the darkness and it's impacting and affecting everybody on the planet. And those who are able to align with it are able to, you know, move out uh, very, very rapidly these days. Uh, Those who resist, well, (laughs) they they are going to have a bit more of a bit more of a problem. And so not only is there this global transformation, but here again, it's impacting and affecting everybody on it. And so that's what so much of my book is about, is just showing the and detailing the personal transformation that we must make if we're to move through these changes in a way that enables us to, to, to uh, uh, come from our true nature. And, you know, to let go of the false self and to, you know, tune into what's real. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's... Letting
0: go of the false self, otherwise known as the ego?
2: The mind, the ego. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, the mind is never, ever in present moment. It doesn't know the present moment. Uh, it has a very vested interest. Perhaps you've noticed in being right, <laughs> <laughs> I've it's in a continual that. state of judgment. <laughs> and it's that very judgment that keeps us stuck in our lower self. And so uh, I make the point in the book that we exist in threeness, uh, the higher self, the middle self and the lower self. And when we're mind-based, as we have been, I I suggest for about 13,000 years now, uh, we are, uh, as I said, never in the present moment and in a constant state of judgment. And that's the perfect way to block yourself from your true nature. So I, I further go on to say that in order to move into the higher self, you first must go down and reconnect with the lower self, which is a child of, say, about, you know, two to four, maybe two to six years of age, basically what I'm getting at is that uh, uh, we need to uh, find a way to let go of some of the baggage, and that is to heal the trauma uh, that was laid upon us, even by, you know, the loving, well-intending parents. Uh, uh we all get saddled with very limiting beliefs and uh emotional baggage that if you and i don't learn how to heal that if we don't learn how to integrate it it's going to start dealing with us in some very unpleasant and uh not very useful ways and so uh and so that we must first go down and learn to uh, deal and heal and uh, transmute some of that baggage and then the present moment begins to present itself, which is the gateway to the higher self, to our true nature, to our connection to Source. It's only available in the present moment. It's not conceptual. It's totally experiential, and uh, it's what life is really all about. So I'm quite certain that that's what the what the global transformation is all about, giving everybody the opportunity to discover their true nature and uh, and. Uh, Uh, makes life a whole lot more interesting.
1: Yeah, we we talk about the lower self here as the inner child. And so, Mm -hmm. and and how important it is to go back and um, reconnect with that part and heal what was, you know, really discover and uncover what the traumas or pains or inflictions or suffering was at that time and then be able to give that back to yourself
2: yeah exactly yeah yeah the the inner child lower self same same thing and so then uh uh you've i guess we've mentioned breath alchemy uh that's that's the technique that i've used and teach others to use to to transmute this stuck energy and to do it totally on an energetic or feeling level so you totally bypass the the mind and uh which is a good thing I guess because because if if you're if you're expecting the mind to heal the mind you know it's it's why don't you get the fox to guard the chicken coop while you're at it you know <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I found it kind of useful to find a way to totally bypass the mind and just go straight for uh, the energetic healing, doing it completely on the feeling level. And that's- well,
1: the breath you know for me was a huge lesson it's it's definitely one of my fundamentals that i learned through my own journey of how much you can use the breath like you said to move energy around your body to open up certain certain areas and how much the body is able to do once you because it's your breath it's your life force and so moving that life force through your body can have um, a really profound impact on how the body responds to you.
2: Yeah, exactly. Life force energy is, is absolutely what it is. It's prana. Uh, and, and prana is source energy. And so once you learn how to move this prana, this source energy, this life force energy through your body and learn how to harmonize with it, well, you can, you can create some rather miraculous healings. I mean, it would seem to be miraculous, but here again, miracles are just commonplace. It's just a matter of learning to step into, you know, kind of like broadening your perspective a bit so you can expand your ability to accept what's possible. Here again, letting go of some of those limiting beliefs.
1: I'm curious, you, you talked about your back um, injury. What limiting beliefs did you discover within yourself that were... Um, the back injury was trying to point you towards.
2: Yeah, yeah right, right. Well, uh, yeah, just, just a ton of them, literally. It just goes down to survival stuff. Goodness sakes, that summer in, 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 in Europe in 1980, all my issues of survival, they just came to the surface. They were just absolutely overwhelming. And, uh, you know, I, I had no choice. I had to learn how to deal with that had to learn how to integrate that or uh, I don't know if I would have made it.
1: What happened in your childhood that put you in survival mode?
2: Well, what I suppose my, my story is not that all uncommon. Uh, I recall one incident uh, where uh, the conditioning uh, well, i had already learned. I was about three years old. And prior to that, I had already learned that love uh, from, from your parents and acceptance from your parents is not unconditional. It is very much <laughs> dependent upon <laughs> me uh, behaving in a certain uh, approved manner. And, of course, they were much bigger than I was, and they had the vocabulary, and they had, I mean, they had everything. I was totally, totally dependent upon them for my very survival, right? I mean, every every two-, three-year-old kid is without exception. And so it's like, you know, you better learn to conform or else. and And so there's that and then one specific incident when i was 3 years of age uh, uh my mother was in the kitchen making a cake and it was a marble cake <laughs> there is actually such a thing called a marble cake my mother used I to i
0: remember my mom made those
2: oh yeah yeah and so you know a little 3 year old that i was i thought well i and i was uh, you know I'll, uh, I'll help my mother out and so i went and i got my bag of marbles and I said, "Here, here you go, Mother. Uh, you're making a marble cake. Uh, you want to put these marbles in the cake, right?" And uh, then all of a sudden, uh, I don't know exactly how it happened, but the 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 I dropped the bag or whatever, and all the marbles just spilled out of the bag. And uh, and uh, I, you know, I didn't understand my mother's response. I was being good. I was trying to help her, and you know, I. That, just dropping the marbles, it shook me up. uh, And I just became a bit, you might say, emotionally activated. And uh, she kind of like compounded the issue because what I needed more than anything else in that moment was just the love and understanding, her telling me that it's okay. And in fact, she getting down on the floor with me and helping to pick up the marbles and letting me know that everything was just fine. But instead, what I got was what seemed at the time like just a, just a stern command to, you know, get down there and pick up the marbles. And that, you know, that that really torched me off. I just went into, you know, into a little tirade. Why me? And I was crying and kicking and screaming and just all, all the rest of that. And then my father got into the act. And uh, so this quickly devolved, uh, very quickly. You know, what started out as a fun and joyful experience very quickly turned into, you know, probably one of the worst days of my three-year-old life. And uh, I just use that as a specific example that, uh, uh, you know, as a a small little child who does not understand uh, their must have been something wrong with me for feeling what I was feeling for acting the way I acted. It wasn't given any sort of understanding, wasn't given any sort of that's okay. It's just the only thing I got was that was totally unacceptable behavior. So as a small little child, what are you supposed to do with the emotional, uh, with the emotions that you weren't allowed to feel because there's something wrong with you for feeling them? What are you supposed to do with the behavior that's not accepted, that's emotionally driven? Uh, You're supposed to, you know, suck it in and uh, develop an act for being a, uh, a, a good little child and, you know, behaving and acting in the right way. But what do you do with all that emotional baggage? If you've never learned how to be okay with it, if you've never learned how to process it, if you've never learned how to integrate that, do you think that's just going to go away? You know, we become very, very good at finding ways to distance ourselves from feeling those unpleasant feelings. We become very good suppression artists, and we become good actors and actresses. But underneath it all, there's all this baggage that is still there. And sometimes, uh, oftentimes, uh, at the worst time, it'll present itself in the most undesirable ways.
0: No, and we have no idea that some of those things are there. Like you may think, I don't have any trauma. You know, my my parents were great. And you think of all the things like they provided food and shelter and, you know, they took me to school and helped me with my homework and took care of me when I was sick and, you know through birthday parties for me or, you know, whatever the case may be. And you don't remember the marble incidents. Yep. You don't remember that, that, you know, they weren't patient with you and that they didn't allow you to show up as your authentic self. And yep. so it's very hard for a lot of people to go back and find these points that have created beliefs in them that are limiting.
2: Yeah, you don't remember it but your subconscious does mm. and it, it determines up to 90% of your behavior. Mm-hmm. And so On a all cellular of a sudden, level you remember it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and and so here again if you don't if you don't find a way as I like to say go down go down go down to the lower self or as you call it the inner child and find a way to heal that trauma, uh, it's going to increasingly deal with you in in uh, unpleasant and socially unacceptable ways. I mean you know and then it plays directly into because we were so mind-based and obviously still are we're in a constant state of judgment and uh, the judgment coupled with the mind's incessant need to be right uh, means that uh, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble that is absolutely unnecessary. You know that stuff just clears up once you learn how to Uh, heal the emotional trauma that is generating it and so um,
0: how do you reverse engineer
2: that well the the tool that i've always used is is the breath work because you see here again what it does is completely bypasses the conscious mind so it's not your mind that you're that you're dealing with at all uh what what the prana in the breath work does it brings up the feeling component and and i'll just just uh maybe unpack that a little bit anytime that you and i make somebody or something wrong and then coupled with our minds need to be right about it you know i'm really right and you're wrong what you did was bad and wrong and terrible and awful and i know because i you know it's just same old mind chatter stuff well there's really two components here the uh, there's the mental component the, you know the the belief system that in, or the you know the thought belief that I'm right and you're wrong and uh, you know that has a lineage that that goes way back there's very a uh, the whole line of you know very similar incidences that you've been you know right about and the other person has been wrong about for a long long time right now so there's that mental component and this becomes lodged in our subconscious mind and just you know becomes part of our uh, subconscious belief system but at the same time Uh, Everything is just energy. And so for every concept or every belief or every thought that you and I have, there is always an instantly an immediate energetic component. Call it a feeling, a sensation in the body. And because you've made somebody or something wrong the uh, the uh, mental component has a lot perhaps a lot of negative charge to it you know you really believe you're wrong and you better shave up or you know all that nonsense that goes with that so there's a lot of negative charge about that's 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 driving that and so what that can only mean is that the instantly created energetic component the feeling can only be an unpleasant feeling And so we live in a culture that has been thoroughly trained to resist unpleasant feelings. I mean, Mm -hmm. goodness sakes, our medical profession is built around it. (laughs) Don't worry, big pharma, they'll give you a pill. (laughs) That'll solve your problem. Uh, You know, and and, and so uh, all it does is, you know, it gives you a band-aid, a quick fix, and a quick fix, and temporarily suppresses the symptoms. But that doesn't mean it goes away it's you've all you've done is suppress it and it's still there and so here again it's going to come up and re, and reveal itself again and again and again until you learn to integrate it and because it is a feeling in the energetic component what i've learned is that you just go straight for the feeling and and you don't you don't have to understand it. You don't have to have any sort of cognitive understanding. You just have to let go and trust enough. Uh, the breathing rhythm that I teach, I call it circular breathing. And what it does is twofold. It begins to run an enormous amount of not only oxygen, but also life force energy or prana through your body. Now, as I've said, prana is source energy. It takes. It is directly source energy. It is life force energy. We can't live without it. So it's uh, pretty powerful and pretty pure stuff. What it begins to do is start lifting up uh, feelings on the energetic level, feelings and sensations that you've been resisting trying to suppress because you've been making them wrong and they didn't feel good. So when you bring it to your conscious attention, now the key is learning to change your relationship to the feeling so you can harmonize with it. What you resist will persist. If you keep making it wrong, you're only gonna get more of it. It's only gonna increase in intensity. But if you can find a way to allow the feeling to be, to make peace with it rather than war with it, now you can go into it, you can expand to include it, you can relax in its presence, and you can begin to tune it in to feel it so thoroughly that you can actually feel the subtle changes moment by moment. Well, that's the equivalent of shining the light on the darkness, you know? Uh, whenever you do that, darkness cannot survive in the presence of light. And so you're signing the light of your conscious awareness on the darkness within your, uh, uh, within your soul that's been suppressed. And, uh, and, and so it literally transforms or transmutes the energy into your sense of well-being. I,
1: yeah, I 1000% resonate with this because that's exactly what I learned in my yoga journey is that we you know I was very inflexible. And I remember sitting in a Spinal twist a seated spinal twist and looking around the room and looking at how far everyone was able to look over their shoulder and me I was like halfway halfway (laughs) turned in and and just like trying to force them I was like come on. I just push a little harder just push push and then finally I was like Well, what if one day I was in that spinal twist and I thought to myself? What if I was just okay with where I was today? Like what if I was actually just okay with it instead of trying to change it and that is what completely shifted everything for me. As soon as I was okay with it, all of a sudden my body went boom, oh, relaxed, and went right back further into the spinal twist. And I remember I'll never forget that moment of understanding the, the whole idea of that which we resist persists. And also the idea of, you know, like you said, making peace with the moment, not making war. I think that's beautiful, and it's so important to realize that when you can accept your reality exactly as it is and be okay with it, that's when you're free, that's when the changes are free to be made, if they're meant to be.
0: Yeah. You know, it's the same with when you have like a trigger, like somebody says something to you, and it causes a reaction. To me, that's a great way to kind of reverse engineer something you might not have realized happened to you in your childhood. And, and using yoga, which I love the analogy, to just think of like, it's when you're, you know, you have that pain in that muscle stretch and that feeling in your pose. And instead of resisting it, like you said, Nicole, you just kind of feel it. You you don't resist it. You're just like, I'm okay with this pain. And
3: you breathe into it.
0: And you mm-hmm. breathe into it. And I've learned to do that with my triggers where, you know, somebody says something and I initial, you know, immediately feel, you know, like my healings, feelings are hurt or wow, that person was such a a jerk to me or why did you have that tone or whatever and instead just stop for that moment and think of it like a yoga pose and be like how about I'm just okay with this
3: and breathe into it
0: and breathe into it and allow myself to feel it and maybe ask myself when have I felt like this before like what is this trying to show me that's inside of me you know as a trauma point that I'm not aware of and the more and more you have this awareness and you pay attention to those those triggers it leads you back to these feelings that you may have had when you were younger. And, and you may never remember a specific incident. You just may remember feeling that way when you were young, like that you were treated that way or something. It may be more in general, which is fine, but it at least allows you to acknowledge it, comfort yourself, acknowledge, you know, validate your own feelings and let it go.
1: Yeah. And the advice that I've been given for the last year and a half as I've gone through my own healing for my own body was just focus on the feeling. Just allow the emotional charge to come through, feel it, and let it move through you. And and like you said, don't try to stop it, suppress it, put a Band-Aid on it, like pretend it doesn't exist. Just let it move through you and let that Um, leave your body so to speak leave your energy field because it really does that's where the the higher charge is carried and then it starts to resolve itself through the mind and then through the body itself
3: i like how eckhart tolle talks about uh you know being present in his book uh the power of now where those past memories there he he talks about there's there's no such thing as past and future because there is only, there is only the now because even those past memories that you're, you may be dwelling on, they only can occur, you know, at a present moment, every, everything that has ever happened to anyone happens, you know, at a, you know, present moment. So even when we think about the past, it's just a remembrance of a, you know, a past, a, a present moment that had once happened. And if you worry about the future, you're literally worrying about a potential, you know, now moment that, you know, may or may not, may or may not happen.
0: Exactly. I love that you're quoting Eckhart Tolle now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I also wanted to say that the the important piece in there as well is that when you have that charge and you have that feeling, if you feel like it's immediately, you feel like it's coming from some external person or some external circumstance to <laughs> to understand that nothing comes from the outside, that it has to be vibrating somewhere in you in order to appear in your reality.
2: Yeah, that person has just acted as a trigger to right. reactivate something within you that you've been avoiding and suppressing and making wrong perhaps for a long, long time, Mm -hmm. giving you an opportunity to revisit that and to uh, integrate it at at the feeling level. So uh, the other point I would like to make uh, for you guys is that when you integrate at the feeling level, you have integrated throughout all of your senses and on all levels. So uh, what what it does is it completely disarms the conceptual component at the same time. Uh, the two are uh, completely interlinked, and so that's the that's the the value and the and the beauty of learning to integrate at the at the feeling level.
3: In Brian's defense, I first read Eckhart Tolle like 15 years ago. So,
0: <laughs> but you only started quoting him today. No, not necessarily. That's
2: yeah, the Eckhart first you, the
3: first you've heard me.
2: I I was first introduced to Eckhart Tolle in in uh, 2003. Uh, a breathwork client of me of mine, he came to one of the sessions and he was all excited and he says, you got to read this. This guy is saying the same exact thing, same thing that you are. And so he gave me a copy of The Power of Now and I'd never ever heard of Eckhart Tolle even, you know, was, I think his book came out two or three years prior to that. But, you know, I just, I don't know, somehow I missed him. I never heard of him. And, and so I read, I started looking at that book and I... Began to instantly agree that we are talking about the same thing so um, So I was
1: well the mind doesn't really know the difference between real or made up in the mind (laughs) So, You know if you have a if you are You know having a memory it doesn't know that it's not happening right now or not and that's why the now is really at any moment that you're It's just that moment-to-moment thing
2: yeah well it's the you know the the, in in the present moment is is always and only the key to your inner Mm -hmm. awareness to your inner compass to your connection to source through your higher self never ever available through the mind sorry folks it's just not there
1: (laughs) talking to you has been really a nice reminder for me to recall some of my experiences that sometimes you know, as you go on in life, you um, get caught up in what's happening in that present moment. And sometimes you don't always anchor into the lessons that you've learned and kind of are able to wed them into the present moment of what's happening now. And I think you having that understanding with Freddie, I think, well, I should say it's Freddie's teaching of being okay paralyzed like that's okay so I'm just paralyzed this is I guess my reality today you know and I'm okay with it and I just it reminded me instantly of the time where I was in my silent meditation retreat on day four and I completely felt like just a just energy I felt like I left my body and I remember that feeling of pure contentment of never not wanting to change anything of being okay with everything exactly as it was and me being exactly as I was and that hearing freddie's story was really brought me back home to that place and taking that and bringing it into my present moment now it's i can see how i could shift a lot um for myself and get out of my way just by like you said making peace with reality and being okay cool this yeah. is where this is where it is today
2: yeah, one of the, one absolutely one of one of the keys. And uh it, it took a cat to teach me, so <laughs> so be it.
1: They're great teachers. For sure. <laughs> yeah, Lisa and Brian have a couple cats and <laughs> they've taught us a few things for sure.
2: Well, they're they're always in the present moment. That's a pretty good lesson right there. Uh they're uh they're unconditionally loving and accepting. Of course, if you know, that implies that you treat them properly, show them love and respect and they'll show you more than uh well it's, it's, it's just amazing as as you know. Uh and uh they they are great teachers. There's no unless question you about
0: them. leave them for too long and you come home and then they snub you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or poo on your pillow.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, don't leave them for too long.
1: <laughs> well, Bob, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining the conversation.
2: Ah, oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I've certainly enjoyed every moment of it. And uh, you know, here again, I just really appreciate your asking me and uh uh and uh and thank you.
1: Thank well- you. Do you have any upcoming workshops or events, or anything that you'd like to share with our audience, or if they have any, if they'd like to get in contact with you, how can they do that?
2: Well, the best way to contact me just go to my website, bobfrizzell.com, and uh, you'll you'll get contact information there. You can send me an email, and you'll find out uh, just what I do. You know, my you'll find out much more about my books and about the breath alchemy technique that I that I teach and I give my sessions on Skype so you know I've got clients all over the planet and uh, which I really like so distance is never ever a problem if uh, if people ever want to do that and then I the other uh, thing I'll mention is that I've got a bunch of online courses on my website Uh, the flower of life workshop which I gave live from 1995 to 2016 I think it was what I did was I put it on as a onto a video course it's an online uh, home study video course and uh, that's available on my website as uh, a number of other related items are also so yeah the best way to get hold of me is just go to my website bobfrizzell.com and uh, if you want to send me an email I'd love to hear from you
1: Oh, great. Well, I definitely want to check out your 25th edition book. Nothing Is it is that the one? Nothing in this book is true, but it's exactly how things are. I love that title, by the way.
2: <laughs> that's, that's the one. And 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 recently, uh, actually January 21st, was the launch date for the audiobook, which is uh, narrated by me. Another amazing story of improbable coincidences that just happened to line up. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think the audio recording came out really good. It was quite an experience for sure. Oh,
1: fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Paul, for being on the show. And thank you again to our audience for joining us this week. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. We will be back with you again. And uh, we love you all. Thank you all for joining our show. We appreciate you tuning in and supporting us.
0: If you have any questions you would like answered on the show or any guests you would like to hear on our show, please email that information to us at info at lightenup.us. And please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you're interested in contacting Nicole or myself for some coaching or any of the other services we provide, you can find out more about Nicole at inflexibleme.com. And my website is lisaloveslove.com. Thank you again for joining us and supporting our show. And we will be back with you all next week.